Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'd like us to turn in our scriptures to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. A man walked into a bakery and pointed to some bread and said, Is this gluten-free? And the baker said, No, it's 450. (laughs) Uh, I'm just enjoying that joke. I'm just basking in it for a minute. It just like, it, it does something to me. So, um, a slice of of bread um, got caught stealing money from the mafia. And the mafia um, burned his house down, and he was toast. Uh, I've... (laughs) Well, you know what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about bread. I'm going to talk about bread today. Bread. And I got more jokes than that, but I'm going to spare you. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We're going to talk about bread. You know, all of you, uh, well, I should say most of you, how many of you would freely confess there is a side to your life and your personality or your actions that you would never let your pastor see? (laughs) Uh, uh, There's a couple honest people. There's a couple honest people in the room. Uh, the rest of us, I don't know if we're, if we're telling the truth or not. Uh, do you know what matters in our lives is the stuff that's happening inside of us, right? What matters in our lives is the genuine work of God. Because you all look good to me. And sometimes the outside of the cup is awesome. But the inside workings, what's going on on the inside, is not awesome. And what we show everybody and what everybody sees is good. But on the inside, there are things that God is trying to work out and trying to shift and trying to move. Friends, the testimony of your life is not shaped from the outside in. The testimony of your life is shaped from the inside out. Hallelujah. And the the Word of God says that if anybody really is in Christ, he has become a new creation. The old things have passed away and the new has come. 
And that is not outside in, that is inside out. God begins a fundamental transformational work inside of you that maybe that that maybe nobody even sees they don't even see what's going on but on the inside you're different and you know it and on the inside things are being shifted around and you know it on the inside you are you are becoming more and more and more like Christ there is something inside of you that's saying you know what I have a desire to follow him uh, three different people this week um, have come to us and have talked to us about their insatiable desire for the Word of God that they've never had before. That is not something that's happening because of, uh, of outside in. That is not something that's happening because the pastor finally beat on it enough. It is a grassroots movement that is saying, uh, I, I have got to have more of him, a hunger that's rising up inside of our hearts that, that uh, draws us near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is God at work. People that I didn't know uh, were participating, coming up to me and saying, God cha changed my heart during this fast. I want to push the pause button a moment because I want to tell you how God changed me during this fast. I woke up at 3 in the morning on Tuesday morning and the Lord was just bringing such conviction to me because of my attitude towards the poor. And you know the the guy that's sitting at the stoplight or the, the light at Walmart. The people that have need. And as the Holy Spirit was convicting me, I just felt ashamed. And what he was calling me to was repentance. And as an act of repentance, I reached out in that moment to a man that's poor, that I'm in relationship with. I've shared his name here several times from India. He's a friend of mine. And I helped him. And this morning, that friend that I helped on his Facebook page posted this. He's, he's a Hindu. But he posted this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And capital letters, no one comes to the Father, but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm reading his post. If you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior, you send yourself to hell. But God wishes that none shall perish. It's your choice. Have a blessed 2024, y'all.
that awesome? I believe that's a fruit of my attitude change. You see, it happens from the inside out, not the outside in. Becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like Christ. That's what's happening in our hearts. What's happening in our lives. I'm going to talk about bread. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth and Elimelech, her husband, had two sons that during famine they moved to Moab out of Bethlehem. And it's interesting, Bethlehem means house of bread. And you, you need to know that Laham means bread. Um, and so Bethlehem, house of bread. But there was famine there. There was no bread in the house of bread. And how sad it is when churches advertise that there's bread in the house. There's, and here we're talking spiritual bread, and I hope that it's easy for you to make the transition this morning from physical bread to spiritual bread. When we advertise there's healing in the house, but there is no healing. And we advertise that there is joy and freedom from depression in the house, but there is no freedom. We advertise that, there's, that, that there is love in the house, but there is no love. We advertise that God is in the house, but he is not in the house. How sad that is when there's no bread in what's supposed to be the house of bread. And so what did they do? They went to the land of Moab, and this is, what, this is where a lot of believers ended up in 2020. They, they found a lot of things were revealed. And a lot of people left Bethlehem. They left Bethlehem to go to Moab. And they were waiting for the famine to end. And I'm not talking just about COVID. I'm talking about the famine that is in the church. The famine that can be in the church. And they left and they went to Moab. Well, while they're there, their two sons marry two daughters. And so the, the famine continues. And now it's not a famine. I, it's not a famine of bread. It's a famine in their family. And all the, all the men, starting with Elimelech and the two sons, all of them die. And now it's Ruth and two daughters-in-law. And there they are. And she encourages them, I'm going, back, I'm going back to my people. You go back to your people. And one of them, through tears, goes back to her people. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Ruth clings to Naomi. I want to read verse 6. Then she arose 
with their daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard the country of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. I'm too old to have a husband. And even if I should have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. Go back. They lifted their voices. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods, return after your sisters-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me to not leave you or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do to me uh, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Awesome story. Awesome story. Praise the Lord. We go back. Uh, this, this story is not about Ruth this morning for us, for our purposes. It's not even really about Naomi. It is about what happens when God visits his people. In verse 6, we read it. He visited his people by giving them bread. And so, Lord, we thank you for We thank you for your presence in this place. We ask that you would open up your word to us this morning. Give us bread. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Visitation results in bread. Now, my family's favorite thing to eat is bread. My wife and I went to Red Lobster last night, and we brought home all kinds of seafood. We brought, well, not all kinds, but we brought home seafood. And we laid it out, the leftovers, we laid it out, and my daughter Faith comes in, and, and uh, she bypasses all the seafood, and she says, there's biscuits. I don't even comprehend that. But that's the way that my wife... And especially my daughter, Faith, is they love bread. When uh, I went to the room last night, you know what my wife was watching on TV? A show about somebody from some foreign country 
baking bread over a fire, being rolled out. Um, it was some YouTube show, uh, uh, this woman with much experience baking bread. My wife loves to bake bread. I love the smell of baked bread in our home. Isn't it awesome? Um, I love it all styles. This one we were watching, I watched for a little while. Uh, last night was the flat kind that's cooked over a fire. Oh, I love that. I love to dip it in sauces, and oh, it's delicious. And, and then um, there's just so many different kinds of bread. But bread is what God gives to people at a moment of visitation. The word lehem means bread in Hebrew. Um, Jacob, one of, the, one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, his request of God that he would follow him, um, Jacob's request is that God give him bread. In fact, it says, then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I might come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And so it was a moment that Jacob had an encounter with God where he realized God's not just the God of my grandfather, Abraham. God's not just the God of my father, Isaac. But I am making God my God. Every generation has to have their own encounter with God. Amen? And, and so Jacob was having this encounter with God. And one of the things that he asked for in this, in this account is, God, always give me bread. By bread in my house, I will know that you are my provider. And this is important. Uh, bread doesn't just happen. For bread to be available, like where, wherever you go, it means that the land, especially back then, they didn't have all these shipping routes for food and bread. They didn't go to the grocery store. For there to be bread in the house, it meant that, there had, that the land that they lived in had to yield. It had to be healed. They had to plant the seed. They had to grow the seed. They had to wait for the seed to, to, uh, to fully develop and head out. And then they had to harvest that bread. And then they had to grind it and make it into flour. That loaf of bread represents months, months of healthy activity. And Jacob, by saying, may there always be bread in my house, he's saying, let the land be healed. Let the land be whole. It is important. The blessing of bread means that the land is whole and healed and good and plentiful. Oh, thank you, Father. And so when there's bread in the house, there's a whole lot more happening than what you see. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. It means that the land is healed. It's no wonder that over and over and over again, that bread in the house is a symbol of blessing. Let me read a couple of Psalms to you. Psalm 104, verse 14. It is God that causes the grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for the service of man, that he might bring forth lehem, bread, from the earth. Praise God. Psalm, that's Psalm 104. Psalm 132, verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy even her poor with bread. 
with bread, with bread. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Um, Solomon is writing Proverbs chapter 30, and he says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the bread that is my portion. Feed me with the bread that is my portion. In the New Testament, Jesus taught us to pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Our daily bread. Visitation from God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. I'll give you a minute. Whether it's in your, in your uh, hand Bible or your, your phone Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And I want to look at verse 10 together. And I, uh, this passage just means so much to me through the years of walking with the Lord. But I want to look at it uh, this morning as it refers to bread. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. There it is. Seed to the sower, bread to the eater. Verse 11. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth not return to me void, but accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Rain has a purpose. Now, we like it when it rains just because it looks nice. The grass turns green and everything, everything just looks better if it rains. And we, you know, the drought of August and everything gets kind of brown. And, uh, you know, we just don't prefer that. But rain is, is significant. There's a corner of society and a corner of the people, even in this room, that understand on a whole different dimension what rain is for. Rain is so that the earth can produce Rain is so that the earth can produce. Without the rain, the earth is not going to produce. And, and guess what the result will be? There will be no bread. And so there is this effect. We're, we're praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We often pray for the rain of the Holy Spirit. And I often say this, and I'm going to say it again this morning, the rain of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, is not just so that we can feel the goosebumps of, uh, of God on Sunday morning and, and, and leave and say, oh, well, wasn't that nice, and come back next week and have the same thing happen. It is not just for that. It is not for a display or a show. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is so that the soil of your heart will be watered and so that you will yield uh, grain, hallelujah, and so that bread will be in the house. Oh, thank you, Father. This is why, this is why, friends, oftentimes people get excited and they'll say, God came so strong that there was no preaching. And sometimes that's a good thing, but if it, sometimes it's just a, 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 the Holy Spirit comes and woo, and we just let God have his way, and it's awesome, praise God. But friends, um, there's a hint of 
there's a hint of that that says, you know what? The, the, the worship time is more important than the word time. The rain that God gives, however he choose to send it, is to bring bread to the house. The Holy Spirit is poured out in a church, in a region, that the people in that region might have bread. And we all become delivery people with the bread that God has given us. Hopeless people need bread. We have got the bread. Evangelism, I've heard it say this, might not match up with every theological viewpoint, but it sure speaks to my heart in this moment. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is, where to find the bread. Thank you, Lord. In Deuteronomy 28, you can write it down. I'm not, not going to read the whole thing, but verse 15 says, if there's a curse on your life, if you're disobedient, the land will not yield bread. In Haggai chapter 1, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6 says, you've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages, uh, earns wages to put a bag with holes in it. There's no bread when God's not in our lives and he hasn't been first. This is happening in our society. There is not bread substance in the house. But Isaiah asked a question. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money? Here's the question. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread. Why do we give ourselves to everything in the world when it has no eternal value? We hang on to things that are not in God's will for our lives. We pay a huge price for things that God did not give us and we hang on to them and hang on to them and in the end they produce bitterness. And Isaiah is saying, Take a look at your life. Why are you living that way? I'm going to read it again because it's so powerful. 
Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your wages for that which does not satisfy. But son, daughter, the Lord is opening wide his arms to you saying, come, come. Hallelujah. God has seed that you don't know of. You see, God does not need the things that we need to produce bread. I want to read to you the proof. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I might test them whether they walk in my law or not. And for 40 years in the wilderness, God rained down manna from heaven. I find it interesting that this manna comes from heaven. It comes from the storehouses of God. God could have just snapped his fingers and it just, uh, because he's a creator, he could have just snapped his fingers and it just appeared out of nothing onto the ground. But that's not how it happened. Every morning, heaven connected with earth. And the manna that was in heaven was delivered to the earth to feed the Israelites, and they would go out and collect it, and, and it, it tasted like nothing that they had ever tasted before. And they didn't know exactly what it was, and so they called it manna, which means, what is it? And they said it tasted kind of like honey and coriander seed, and it had this kind of a consistency. Psalm 78 verse 25 said that this bread was the bread that angels eat from the heavens. And so God has, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I might be reading into this a little bit now. Give me some flexibility here. I don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically say this, but in my mind's heart, I am seeing fields in heaven with soil that God has in heaven, growing seed in heaven that angels harvest, that angels prepare. There are uh, there There is a bakery in heaven where manna is prepared, and God every morning for 40 years opened up the heavens, deposited the manna right where the Israelites were, well, where they partook of this bread from heaven that sustained them in the wilderness where Nothing will grow for 40 years. Wow. Bread. Bread. And Jesus came along. Jesus came along. And he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Command these rocks to become bread. And Jesus looked at Satan 
And he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. And he said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the living God. You see, in John chapter 1, it says the word, it says in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The living word. The living word. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here right now. So we go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The first part of John chapter 6, you know what the whole chapter is about? The whole chapter is about Jesus being the living bread. He's the living bread. The first part, he feeds the 5,000. He takes some loaves and fish, and he feeds an incredible amount of people, an army of people. And all of them ate as much as they wanted. Verse 12 said they were filled. And he said to his, and Jesus said to his disciples, okay, uh, we've had just a, a few pieces of bread, and it multiplied, and people dropped it all over the place, and they all ate, and they were filled. Let's just get out of here. No, he did not say that. He said, gather up every fragment because the bread is important. Gather up every fragment that remains so that nothing is lost. Jesus was sharing here, not for physical bread, but he was sharing with them the important view that we should have towards bread. We got an abundant supply of bread here a couple of weeks ago. I think Jeff Street sent them here, and, and we, uh, we sent a lot of it out into homes, but we still had an incredible amount of bread, and you know what we did not do? We did not just throw away what was, what was left over. We took what was left over, and we brought it to the Salvation Army so that they could continue to distribute it because bread is important. But Jesus didn't say this about physical bread for the sake of physical bread. He said it for the sake of what was about to happen in the coming days. So he sent the disciples across. He walked out on the sea. And the following day, the people knew that the disciples had left and Jesus stayed, but now where is Jesus? And word came, he's on the other side. And so they, they went across and said, how did you get over here? And Jesus didn't answer their question, which he often doesn't. And he said, you're here not because you want to know where I, I am, but you're here because you want more bread. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We skip down. He engages in conversation, and for the sake of time, I'm going to bypass some of my message here. 
But he's asked a question about the manna from the wilderness. And in verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now listen to, those, listen to this. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and never die. <laughs> I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Oh, hallelujah. And so, you know, he's declaring to these Jews that are asking him about the manna, he's declaring to them a, a lot of different things here. First, the first thing that they pick up on is he said, he came down from heaven. This is a claim that he's making that is preposterous. But you know what else came down from heaven? The manna that they ate in the wilderness. It came down from heaven. Do you know what that was a type of? That was a type of the living bread that was going to come down from heaven. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. He said, I came down from heaven. I came down from heaven. And they quarreled amongst themselves. He, they, 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 uh, they quarreled amongst themselves and and they, they asked the question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It sounds like paganism. It sounds like cannibalism. And Jesus does not soften his answer so that they will accept it. He doubles down. He goes even more what seems to me, honestly, to be gruesome. He doubles down and he, verse 53, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Woo! And them and their limited understanding. And really, as I even read that, uh, it's, it's a shocking statement, isn't it? It's a shocking statement. And, you know, an unbeliever comes into the church. And you know what we sing about all the time? The blood of Jesus. And you know what it can sound like? The occult. That's what it can sound like. They're talking about the blood of Jesus. Well, Jesus makes this statement, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. He doubles down and he makes it even more difficult. And then he says this, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, this is like the third time he said it, abides in me and I in him. We should put this on our advertising. See how many people we draw. They eat flesh and drink blood in that place. And then he says it again, the living father, just as he has sent me. 
and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your forefathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, Jesus is saying, will live forever. And what happened in verse 60? Many of his disciples, when they heard this, they didn't understand it. They were like, what have I gotten involved in? What have I gotten involved in? Who can understand it? And verse 66 says, from that time many of them went back and walked with him no more. They didn't understand. Jesus was giving himself for us to partake of. And it's obvious that he was not talking about cannibalism. Jesus did not start cutting limbs off to give people to eat. He was not talking about that. But he was talking about something that is so so intertwined with him, so participatory with him. When his body was broken on the cross, when his blood was shed on the cross, it became something that we must participate in. We must participate in it. Eat the bread. Now later on, Jesus in the upper room, we're going to share communion. In fact, I'm going to ask if the ushers would begin to distribute communion. Later on, Jesus would teach about communion. And in the upper room, he would take the bread and he would say, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he would say, this is the blood of my covenant that I'm establishing with you. Later on, Jesus would tie in communion with his broken body and with his shed blood. Friends, and, and, and while they're distributing, please, anybody, anybody here, you don't have to be a member here to take communion. But if you are in relationship with Jesus, we invite you to the table. And we ask you to, to take a, a cup and a piece of bread and hang on to it and, and partake of, 
of communion with us. Eating the bread means so much more than participating in communion, although that is incredibly important. It means a lot of things. One of the things that it means is that we eat the word of God. The living word, the living bread, the living bread. When the disciples left, he wasn't referring to the 12. Jesus looked at the 12, and then a little further down in verse 49, he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter, in a moment where God was on him, said, where else are we going to go, Jesus? You alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? We might not understand everything that you say, but we're sticking with you. That was a God moment. That was a God moment. I'm bypassing all the rest of my notes. You can read the Word. Did you know you can read the Word and not eat the bread? You can read the Word and not eat the bread? I've already got some, thank you. The Pharisees did this. Chapter before, in John chapter 5, in verse 38, Jesus accuses them and he says, you do not have the word abiding in you. Now, many of them had much of the Old Testament memorized word for word. But Jesus said, God's word is not living in you. God's word is not alive in you. And then he makes this statement. You diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures which testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. And so there are many that have turned this book, you know what they've turned it into? They've turned it into a textbook. They've turned it into a history book. They've turned it into just a, a, a book from antiquity. And they read it in that fashion, and you know what they miss in it? They miss the life that is in God. But when you approach this word as it's intended to be, the living bread from heaven, and you feast on it, and you feast on it, 
and you feed on it. You feed on it. You eat the Word. You eat the Word. You eat the Word. Oh, you're coming not just, not just to pages, not just to words on a page that have been printed, but you are coming to before the living Word of God, and you are partaking of the bread that has come down, and you are, you are feasting and eating on, on it as, as it, as it uh, says that it is. Jesus says, I am the living Word word. Amen. He's the living bread. And when that food goes into you, it doesn't just sustain your body for another day. It is feeding your spirit. Hallelujah. Are you hearing from the Lord this morning? We're feeding on God. We're feeding on the bread. I'm declaring this morning that there is bread in this house. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I've had through the years many ask me, well, what do you believe about communion? Is it really the body of Jesus? Jesus said, this is my body. Is it really? Well, in a physical sense, no. It would taste like human flesh. It would taste like blood. Physically, the answer is no. If it was, you could take it to a lab and have it tested, right? And it would still test like bread and like grape juice. So physically, no. It's not. Is it symbolically? Absolutely it is. Symbolically, it is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Is it merely symbolic? Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no. It is not merely symbolic. When we participate in communion, we are feeding on Jesus. Friends that I know, God has led them to participate in communion every single day. And it has opened up incredible fellowship with Jesus as we celebrate the cross, the broken body, and the shed blood. I've known people that when they take of the bread and the cup, that they've been healed. <laughs> they've been healed. There's a great mystery that's happening right now. We, the family of God, coming around the cross, coming around the new covenant in his blood, 
and participating in all that he has for us. Oh, I'm I'm just feeling the presence of the Lord in this room right now. This blood that has purchased your forgiveness and your healing. And as we approach it, don't trample on it. Don't trample on it. Don't continue to stay in that secret sin. Don't dishonor him by living any way that you want to. Line your life up. Repent. Examine your heart, Paul said. Examine your heart. If you take this, this is why, this is, it's not just symbolic. If you take this in an unworthy manner, that means intending to continue to rebel against God. It will bring sickness on you. It's real. It's real. It's real. But if you participate in it in a worthy manner, this doesn't mean you're perfect. It means your heart is toward God. He's the perfect one. And his righteousness comes on us. And we just receive it. And we say, God, help me walk with you. I just come under the blessing of your broken body and your shed blood. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So, Lord... We take the bread in our hands, and Lord, I always like to break it in my fingers. As you broke bread with the disciples. And you said, this is my body broken for you. And we remember your body broken on the cross this morning. And we lay our lives down to participate with you, to partake of you, to love you. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. And we thank you for the cup. We thank you for your blood that was spilled on the cross. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for ministering forgiveness, for ministering healing, and for allowing the power that's in your blood to touch each of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Hallelujah. Just give him thanks right now. Just give him thanks. The true bread. The true bread. If you need healing right now, just lift your hand up to the Lord. Just lift your hand up to the Lord. Father, thank you for those with their hands raised right now, for healing their bodies, for making them whole, for touching them by the power of your spirit, for releasing your power. <laughs> Hallelujah. If the person next to you has their hand raised up, just lay your hand on them right now. Lord, we just speak healing over them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the release of your presence and your power. In the name of the Lord, we give you praise, God. We give you praise. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for moving mightily, moving mightily, moving mightily. If you have... If you feel the Lord stirring in your heart a hunger for the bread of heaven and you're just saying, oh God, I want to participate more with that bread. I want to, I want to, I want to uh, feed on that bread. Just lift your hand up to the Lord right now. If you felt that, if you felt the Holy Spirit speaking that to you, God, I, I pray that stale bread, that God, the staleness Yesterday's bread, God, we wouldn't just remember the things we've learned. You have fresh bread for us today. You have fresh bread for us today. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, God. You have a fresh word. You have a now word. You have, you have a meal that's just for now. Hallelujah. God, I thank you for hunger just being stirred. God, in our young people, hunger for your word being stirred, God, in every generation. Hunger for your word, oh God, to prevail in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we would be more hungry for your word than anything else in this world in the name of Jesus. God, our flesh gets attached to things in this world. We cut all that off. And we thank you for an attachment and a hunger to well up, God, in this body. For your living word. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There's something happening, friends. We're in a new moment. We're in a new day. And we're believing God to do a new thing. In Jesus' name.